Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, a message I've entitled, The Cost. Please stand out of honor to God and his word as I read. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what, man, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Thank you. you. may be seated. So today we're looking at the cost, the cost of following Jesus. But speaking of cost, and, and by the way, uh, Andy is having an Israel meeting after church, and so this joke is actually about Israel. So there was a man, his wife, and his mother-in-law went to Israel for a trip. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. Well, the local funeral director said it would be very expensive to ship the mother-in-law back to the United States, but that the burial could be done very inexpensively right there in Israel. Well, the man told the funeral director the cost didn't matter to him because he heard of someone else who died in Israel and rose again three days later. He wasn't willing to take that risk with his mother-in-law. <laughs> Let's look this morning at the cost. First of all, the cost of following. Jesus says, deny yourself. What does that mean? That means to put Jesus first. Put Jesus first in your time. Put Jesus first in your treasures. Put Jesus first in your behaviors, in your urges. When we put him first, we deny ourselves. We put his will above our own will. Whether it's our sinful pleasures, our selfish desires, we put his will above our will. You must deny yourself. Put Jesus first. But then secondly, he said, take up your cross. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul did talk about in Galatians 2.20 about being crucified with Christ. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so maybe this is talking about daily crucifying ourselves. Or sometimes people talk about, well, you need to bear the cross you've been given. We've all been given different crosses in this life. You've got to bear the cross you've been given. Paul's cross actually was a thorn in the flesh. He talks about that in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. We don't know exactly what it was, but it hounded him. Some of our crosses maybe would be your spouse or a child or a parent or health problems or a boss or your job. And these are all crosses that we need to bear. Let me pause for a moment and just say, here's two encouragements concerning your crosses. Whatever cross it is you are bearing... Number one, God will use that cross to perfect you. And number two, God will strengthen you to handle that cross. Paul talks about that. He calls it temptation here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But you could put cross in there if you want to. There hath no cross taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So again, whatever the cross is that you may bear, number one, God will use it to perfect you, and number two, God will strengthen you to handle it. But here's what I want to say about all this cross talk. The cross today and the cross of that day are very different, very different. I mean, think about it. The cross today is decoration. In fact, I can't see it, but somewhere up behind me there is a cross. It's a decoration. Some of you probably right now, you're wearing jewelry, maybe earrings or a necklace, and you're wearing the cross as jewelry. Understand the cross today and the cross of that day are very different. Because the cross then meant only one thing. Death. 
It wasn't a decoration. It wasn't a piece of jewelry. It meant only one thing, death. Cross was an instrument of terminal torture. You may or may not realize this. The early Christians did not use the cross as a symbol of their faith. You know, we, we automatically think of, we see a cross and we think, oh, Christianity. But back then, the early church did not use the cross as a symbol. It was too repugnant to them, especially Christians who had a Jewish background. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 21-23 and Galatians 3-13. He says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And the followers of Jesus didn't like to think about him being cursed, hanging on a tree. And so it was repugnant to them. So they did not use the cross as a symbol. Instead, they used fish. They used an anchor. They used a shepherd. They even used the Greek letters XR. If you look at that first one on the top left there, it looks like PX, sort of. And that's only if you don't read Greek. But X is the first letter in the name Christ. And R, or Rho, is the second letter in the name Christ. And so that sign there, you see there, top left, is Christ. You see a shepherd there, ancient shepherd. You see a fish. You also see the anchor. It's got a couple of fish on it too. These were the symbols the early church used, not the cross. But Jesus said, here's the cost of following. Deny yourself and take up your cross. So what is Jesus' invitation there? It is to die for him. His invitation is to die for him. Following, follow me, when he says, take up your cross and follow me, follow me means following him in death. In fact, look at your Bibles up just up to verse 21. Just there, Jesus has just talked about his own death. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer all kinds of things from the chief priests, and I will be killed. So death is on his mind, and then he comes right down to these verses, and he says, take up your cross. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you willing to die for Christ? Are you willing to die for him? Of course you know he died for you. You say, well, the good news on that, yes, he died, but then he rose again the third day. Right, but he died for you first. You've got to die before you can rise again. Are you willing to die for him? Last week we talked about that word martyr. And the word martyr means witness, but it means more than just a witness. It means a witness who believes so fervently that he's willing to die for it. I ask you again, are you willing to die for Jesus? This is the cost of following. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Cross only meant one thing to Jesus, one thing to those disciples, death. My friends, please understand, this is not Sunday school and church once a week. So often we come to Sunday school and church, we say, wow, I've done my thing. I've really served my Lord. I've really made a great sacrifice. This is not Sunday school and church once a week. This is total commitment. You give your life for Christ. After all, once you give your life, what else do you have left to give? You've given your all. So my friends, cross-bearing is not enduring minor irritations. Cross-bearing is not bearing significant burdens. Cross-bearing is what the condemned did with their own crosses back in the day. When Jesus said, you bear your cross, they would have an upright pole already at the place of crucifixion, but the person being crucified would have to carry the cross beam. 
This is what the condemned did with their own crosses. And this is where the public humiliation began. Because as they were walking through the streets with that crossbeam, people were making fun of them and spitting on them and doing all kinds of things. And then the public shame climaxed at the crucifixion. And so cross-bearing is not enduring minor irritations. Cross-bearing is not bearing significant burdens. It is what the condemned did with their own crosses. It is dying to our own plans and our own goals to fulfill our divine purpose. And it is also making the ultimate sacrifice if necessary. As I mentioned in the children's sermon, becoming saved is easy. All you got to do is receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried for your sins. He rose again the third day. That's easy. But being saved is not easy. It's hard work. It's a life of sacrificial service. It's a life that Jesus says you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. I think that's why Paul in Philippians 2.12 says you need to work out your own salvation. You see that? He says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now you don't work to earn your salvation. You're already saved. That's easy. But once you are saved, it's hard work because you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. And then the last thing Jesus says in verse 24, the cost of following, he says, follow me. A disciple is one who follows. A Christian is a follower of Christ. What does that mean to follow Christ? That means we obey his commands. That means we endure rejection. That means we suffer persecution, even death, for his sake. Look in verse 25. Jesus makes this very clear. He talks about death for my sake. So this isn't that stuff we talk about today. Oh, I'm bearing my cross. My my husband's on me all the time. Or my kids, they won't obey me. Or I've got this, I've got this medical problem that's really uh, doctors can't figure it out. Or what that's not what this is. You suffer persecution, even death for his sake. And so we see, first of all, the cost of following. But secondly, I want us to look at the cost of ignoring. The cost of ignoring. Most people are not willing to pay the price. They're not. The cost is too high for them to give their lives to Jesus Christ. They ignore the cost. Indeed, they attempt to save their own lives. Look at verse 25. He says, if you save your life, you lose it. But they attempt to save their own lives. Concentrating on the here and now. Maybe through financial gain. Some by legitimate means, by working hard and investing. Some by immoral means, such as gambling. Now, I will tell you, this is not a gambling sermon, but I owe you one. And Mike told me this morning, I, I already did one for you. But I think I still owe you one. But anyway, I'll check my records. But know this about gambling. All gambling breaks six of the Ten Commandments. So you know right there, it can't be good. All gambling breaks six of the Ten Commandments. Whether it's casinos, whether it's scratch-off tickets, uh, whether it's sports betting, uh, whether it's 50-50s and other local fundraisers, it's all gambling. It's all breaking six of the Ten Commandments. I owe you that sermon. But people attempt to save their own lives in financial gain, maybe with their physical body. They eat the right food. They take the right vitamins. uh, They do the right exercise. You know what? The most that they can save is their name. And even that's temporary. 
they may have enough money that they can build a building and, and put their name on the outside. Or maybe they will become famous and they'll erect a statue. You ever driven through a town, a D.C. or anywhere else, Baltimore, and there are statues all over the place? You don't know who any of them are. You better know who this guy is. But you don't know who any of them are. And so, yes, they have a statue, and if you go up and read the little plaque, you know what their name was, but you don't know anything about them. Or maybe they try to make history. Maybe get their five seconds of fame where they do something and they get in the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh, people will read all about me. No, they won't. Or maybe they try to save their name by having children, have lots of children, pass the name along. The bottom line is they prefer the temporal to the eternal. And know this, that all earthly life is temporary. All earthly life is temporary. Only the soul lives forever. Jesus says that one can gain the whole world, but wealth cannot purchase even one soul into heaven. And Jesus goes on to say that nobody can trade something for a soul. Do you know why? Because worldly wealth is temporary and souls are eternal. There is no exchange rate between the temporal and the eternal. And Jesus says that in verse 26. But it's not all bad news today. Because there are those who concentrate on eternal matters. But back to those who concentrate only on this life. They lose eternal life. Look what Jesus says in verse 26. The whole world is worth much less than one eternal soul. There is nothing more valuable than a soul. There is nothing more precious than a soul. And Jesus did not die on the cross for the physical world. He died on the cross for eternal souls. And those who concentrate only on this life, they will be condemned by Jesus personally. They will hear what I believe to be the saddest words, not only in all the Bible, the saddest words in all of history. And they are found in Matthew 7, verse 23, where Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And when you read that verse in context, these are good people. These are nice people. Basically, church people. But they never received Christ as Savior. And so at the last moment, even though they've been good people their whole lives, Jesus looks them square in the eye and says, Get out of here. I don't know you. From there, they are sentenced to eternal hell because these individuals are eternally bankrupt. But as I mentioned, there are those who do concentrate on eternal matters. There are people in this life, I'm one of them, and hopefully you are too, that concentrate on eternal matters. And while it is true that as we concentrate on eternal matters, we may lose some aspects of this life. For instance, we may lose some finances as we engage in our tithes and offerings. You don't have as much money as your unbelieving friend do, does because, you know, you're, you're giving offerings and supporting missions and all of that. You may miss out on time. Some of you may even have friends right now, I can't imagine, but they're still sleeping because it's a Sunday morning. But you got up and you got ready and you came to church. You miss out on some time. You may miss out on being popular. You may miss out on living in peace because you're persecuted. Those who concentrate on eternal matters, even though they lose some aspects of this life, they gain eternal life. And while those who concentrate only on this life will be 
condemned by Jesus personally. Those who concentrate on eternal life will be commended by Jesus personally. We find that in Matthew 25 and verse 23. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Look at the end of that. Enter into the joy of the Lord. My friends, God is not interested in our happiness. He's interested in our holiness. I hear people all the time say, oh, God wants me to be happy. I'm going to divorce my husband because God wants me to be happy or whatever they come up with. God is not interested in our happiness. He's interested in our holiness. And so this sets up a divine paradox. Look in verse 25. You save your life, you'll lose it. You lose your life, you'll save it. I can't say it any better than Jesus, but let me illustrate it to you this way. What do you think a person on his deathbed would be willing to trade for eternal life? This man knows he's dying. He's got moments to live. What would he be willing to trade for eternal life? I'll answer it for you. Everything he had. Everything he had. You save your life, you're going to lose it. You lose your life, you'll save it. So we see the cost of following, the cost of ignoring. But thirdly, I want us to look at the cost of waiting. Now, we need to go to a verse I didn't read, and I'm not texting somebody. I'm, I got it on my phone. Look down to verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So here's the cost of waiting. Jesus is coming back to judge unbelievers. You say, well, Brother Gary, you just read. It says he's going to reward every man according to his work. That sounds like everybody to me. Well, my friends, we know from the rest of scriptures that God judges unbelievers by their works. He judges believers by his works, by his grace. And so we know this verse is not talking about judging everybody. This is just talking about judging unbelievers. And so if you decide to wait... Well, yeah, I want to get things right with God. I, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior, but I'm going to wait a while. The cost of waiting is Jesus is coming back to judge you. And you say, well, tell me this, Brother Gary. When will he return? When's he coming back? We don't know. But we do know this. Jesus himself said it will, it will be when we least expect it. Look here in Matthew 24 and verse 44. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. And so you might have taken your Bible and your calculator, maybe you're old, you use a slide rule, and you've figured it all out, and you've got the dates, you know when Jesus is coming back, and you've got it all figured out, and you know. So you know you've got time. You've got a month, or you've got a year, or you've got a decade, whatever it is. Listen to the words of Jesus. He's coming back when you least expect it. You say, well, I'm still going to wait. And once I see Jesus, I believe Jesus is coming back. And once I see him coming back with the angels, that'll be hard to miss. Then I'll get things right with him. My friends, know this, that once you see Jesus coming in all his glory, it'll be too late to believe. You see, he's interested in the people of faith, not sight. And yes, you will see Jesus coming back one day. With his angels, you will see that. That's something everyone will see. The Bible says every eye shall see him. But once you see him, it's too late to believe. And know this, that once his judgment begins, there is no opportunity to repent.
Once his judgment begins, you can say, well, hold up a second, Jesus. Now, now, just wait a second. Now, I'm sorry. I repent. Too late. Too late to believe. Too late to repent. See, this is the cost of waiting. Jesus is coming back. He, he may come back before we're done here today. I hope he does. But if you've not yet received Christ as your Savior, for you, I hope he doesn't. But this is not something on which you wait. I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next year. I'll do it a decade from now. No, the cost of waiting is Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to judge all those who have not received Christ as Savior. So here's my advice to everyone in this room. Don't wait. Believe now. Now is the time. Today is the day. Look how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 6.2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It doesn't say tomorrow. It doesn't say next month. It doesn't say next year. It doesn't say uh, once you get settled in your new job. It doesn't say once you get your house and your landscaping all done. It says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Because the cost of waiting... Jesus could come back. And then for you, it's all over. There's no hope. There's no time to believe. There's no time to repent. There's no time to get things right. It's over. And not just for a little while. It's over. Forever. So this morning, as we looked at the cost, we see, first of all, the cost of following don't forget, it's easy to become a Christian. I don't want to discourage you from becoming a Christian. It's easy. Jesus did all the work. He died. He rose. He's here. All we do is receive. Simple Simon. But then once you become a Christian, it's hard work. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow him cost of following. Then we looked at the cost of ignoring. Some people said, well, I'm just not willing to pay that price. I'm going to ignore it. And instead they focus only on this life and they lose eternal life. But for those that do focus on eternal life, they may lose some little aspects of this life, but they get eternal life. And then we looked at the cost of waiting. Jesus could come back. While you're waiting, he could come back. And then for you, it's too late. It's over. Forever. Let me point you back to this verse. Don't wait. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Believe now. Receive Christ now. You won't be sorry. You said, well, it becomes hard after that. Oh, well. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. But this is not something I can do for you. This is not something the church can do for you. This is not something the deacons can do for you. This is not something your mom and dad can do for you. You need to receive Jesus Christ personally as your Savior. And again, do it now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to be together, to sing your praises, to lift our prayers, to fellowship together, to hear your word. These are strong words from Jesus, not from the preacher, from Jesus. 
If they were my words, we don't know if we could trust them or not, but these are Jesus' words. He always meant what he said. So, Father, if there are any here who thought that they would wait, may they have grace and faith to believe now, today. And for those of us who are believers, help us to refocus our attention not on this life, but on eternal life and helping others gain eternal life as well, but only through Christ Jesus our Lord. Have your will and way in this invitation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.